The last 20 years have seen an explosion of cool tech, shiny digital apps, and progressive business models, but not all have migrated successfully to traditional banking. Have we lingered too long in the glittering halls of cutting edge? Have we forgotten the real goals of reliable, trustworthy, and functional banking? Is it time to find the real magic in building a bank that works? Welcome to Functional Banking Magic, a podcast that aims to tell the stories of the magic in a bank that works. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our next episode of Functional Banking Magic. And we're looking at uh, a topic that everyone on my team uh, knows is one of my favorite topics, which is ISO 2022. So we're calling this In the Trenches of ISO 2022. Uh, We all know that the industry is currently on the journey to migrate to this new messaging standard for cross-border payments. So we're going to look at what lessons have been learned so far, what banks need to do now, and will the industry be ready for the ultimate decommissioning of the legacy SWIFT MT standard in November 2025. So I have two excellent guests with me for this episode. So Jeremy McDougall, Director of Payments at EY, and Stephen Lindsay, Business Lead SWIFT Platform. Hello, Jeremy and Stephen. Good morning. <laughs> Excellent. Everyone knows how much um, I, I love ISO 2022. And it's interesting. The first question, I mean, whenever whenever anyone moderates a panel, you, the, one of the questions speakers always asked is, what's the expertise of the audience? And I kind of I kind of think everyone knows what ISO 2022 is now. Everyone knows how important it is to the industry. But just for some of you who uh, who don't know or are looking are looking for added information, I think we'll start off with a high level overview of ISO 2022. 2022 messaging standard and why it's important. So, Jeremy, can you give us a rundown? Of course. So, hi, Liz. Firstly, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Um, ISO 2022 is a new financial messaging standard. It aims to create a single common language globally. Um, It applies to all financial messages, not just payments, but also includes securities and trade finance and some others. Um, The existing MT standards have been around for over 45 years. Mm. And as you can imagine, they lack structure. They're limited um, in terms of their characters and field usage. Um, And what we found over the years is that they've been misused by the various organisations. And as time has gone by, they've kind of tricked the standard. Um, This has led to um, inconsistencies in the the way um, different organisations send and receive these financial transactions. Um, It has therefore caused frictions, delays to payments. Um, It's meant manual activity, increased cost, and as a result, unhappy customers. Mm -hmm. Um, ISO 20022, it brings structure and rich data and and additional data. Um, And a really important point is it allows um, interoperability between different payment systems, such as SWIFT sending cross-border payments. A large number of those will end up settling in local payment schemes, such as in the UK CHAPS. And as a result, when they're on different payment standards, again, it can cause friction. Um, Whereas now that they're going to be on the same standard and language, it's going to provide a much more seamless um, transaction and therefore um, a much more chance of succeeding. this is why there's been so much focus on adopting the new standard. 
Excellent. Um, now, when we mentioned before in the intro that that this is this is a uh, we're in the middle of this journey, uh, the migration ISO twenty one twenty two, and we're now in a period of what's called coexistence. So, Stephen, I wanted to go go to you if you could take us up to speed on how the migration has been so far. Sure, and I think it's worth you know you know coming 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 back. I mean, this is a huge undertaking at an industry level. So, um, I think that given that the the industry is really making good progress. Um, 2023 last year was a, was a very much a breakthrough year where we saw a number of major market infrastructures adopt ISO 2022 and also the start of the coexistence period for cross-border as well. And from a SWIFT standpoint, we, we obviously support market infrastructures and, uh, and cross-border. And we saw since March of 23, where a lot of these things went live, a shift of around 35% of payments traffic from legacy MT to ISO 2022. So obviously some of the market infrastructure is the big drivers behind that. We had Target 2, Euro 1 and CHATS all move uh, in, uh, in 2023. Um, so that's what, so that, that drove a lot of that switch. And then on the cross-border side right now, we're seeing about 20% of instructions that have switched so far. So it's, I say, good progress. I think that we're still on the cross-border side. We need to see that transition accelerate because, you know, as, as hopefully everybody by now knows, the um, the MT uh, payment instruction messages will be removed from the SWIFT network in November 2025. So we've got a little under two years to move the rest of that traffic to ISO 2022. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, not uh, necessarily... A straightforward thing to do but it's achievable mm. um i think a big uh, factor that's going to help to drive that transition is that the uh, us dollar high pay high value payment systems will adopt iso 2022 uh, this year chips mm -hmm. uh, in first half of this year and then fedwire will adopt iso 2022 in the first half of 2025 so by then we'll see that you know that the the major traded currencies, US dollar, euro, sterling, uh, yen, Swiss franc, and so on, will all be ISO 2022. We reckon about you know 80% of the volume and 90% of the value of uh, high value payments will be transacted using ISO 2022 by the end of November 2025. And we do expect that to lead to you know a lot more uh, traffic moving to the standard from the cross-border space as well, because as Jeremy indicated at the beginning, these things are inter interlinked, right? You know, you have transactions that start cross-border and settle in a, in a domestic RTGS and you have the other thing, you know, mm. a domestic payment which uh, then goes cross-border. So the fact that they're interlinked means that there really isn't anywhere to hide, right? You do have to get to ISO 22 by that point. Mm. The major currents all have moved by, by, by the end of 2025. Well, the industry, you have nowhere to hide. We'll, we'll use that. <laughs> um, Stephen, I'm, I'm going to stay with you a bit. I wanted to go back in time a bit because there have been a, a few delays to the migration schedule during this journey. Specifically, SWIFT delayed the original ISO 20022 migration date by 12 months mm -hmm. uh, from the uh, November 2021 to no end of 2022. Um, this was reportedly because banks struggled with decommissioning and preparing mm -hmm. existing infrastructure for the transition. How was that issue dealt with? I think it's true that there have been, you know, several delays to implementation, SWIFT and others. And, 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 part, of, and part of that has been the, the very interconnectedness that we just talked about. So a delay for an RT, major RTGS, for example, can trigger a delay on cross-border and vice versa. So we saw 
a bit of that going on as well. And these are very complex projects with a lot at stake, right? We have, you know, we have to think in terms of the safety and soundness of the payment system, which is very fundamental. So you can understand why implementers tend to err on the side of caution when they're considering both their own readiness and the readiness of their communities. So I think that that, 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 that would probably explain quite a bit of it. Although you know, water under the bridge to a certain extent, you know, the, the, the bigger markets and the, um, and the cross-border space, those migrations are well underway. The delay on the SWIFT side, to an extent, was triggered by concerns about community readiness. We realized that we we're going to have to maintain both standards for a coexistence period, that a big bang type approach to migration for cross-border really wasn't going to be viable, um, given the, 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 the size and also the variation in the complexity of, the, of, of, our, of, our, of our community. So we took, we basically took a, took a bit of a break and we, we, we used that period from a Swiss standpoint to build a thing called the transaction manager, which is designed to ensure that rich data, which is the whole purpose of having ISO 22 can be protected and propagated all the way through the transaction flow. So that's what that period was used for. And it also gave the banks in our community a bit of breathing space to finalize their implementations as well. So, you know, we, 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 we sort of, on the one hand, we upgraded uh, the, the infrastructure that was going to support that ISO 2022 transition to make sure that the benefits of ISO, which are really the benefits of rich data, would be more easily achieved. And at the same time, you know, gave our banks a bit of a breather to give them a bit more time to get the implementation done. Mm, interesting. So, Jeremy, I wanted to turn to you. I mean, have there been what, have there been any other challenges that we've faced, or any that have been discovered so far? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if I start with the larger banks, um, as Stephen mentioned, these are complex migrations moving from an old standard. When you've got data that is sensitive and includes customer information, it's always going to be sensitive. Um, the larger, more global banks are not only trying to grapple with how do they adopt the new standard, they're dealing with um, older legacy applications that currently speak the old standard and perhaps may be decommissioned in the future. And then if they, they have to make the decision about whether they invest to make these applications ISO native so that they're able to process the transactions. Um, but a big difficulty a lot of the larger organizations have faced and will continue to do so is around the different timelines. So SWIFT have a coexistence period. Um, a lot of the larger organization will participate within chaps in the eurozone and those have have had different timelines um, so you can imagine there's multiple programs looking to tackle that um, and that's just in terms of the planning and, and getting on with it there's a big technical element to it but also operationally um, the, the the larger organizations will now be the, the the data that is flowing is different and therefore the op staff that support functions call centers anyone who looks at that data will have to be able to recognize it know where to find it and because it's changing there's a lot of call it a business impact um, that will have to um, be addressed and looked at and obviously that's commenced but there's a couple of years to go until the end of the coexistence period and that really will mark a milestone for the bulk of um, payments being sent and received um, in the new standard. Mm, interesting. Stephen, I wanted to go back to you because when you when you were talking about the uh, November 2025 uh, uh, deadline, you mentioned, you know, mm. all the world's major currencies will, will be um, uh, uh, migrated over and sort of 80 to 90 percent of the market. What what type of organizations do you think are going to struggle with these timelines? And, you know, what what more needs to be done to, to help those those uh, those the 10 percent that's left over? 
Yeah, I mean, I think from a, from a cross-border perspective, it's very clear that the, some markets and institutions are having more difficulty than others. Um, some markets like the EU had SEPA, a lot of Eurosystem initiatives that were specified ISO 20022. So ISO 20022 in those markets is very much a known quantity. But there are markets where the banks have had a lot less exposure to ISO 20022. And so they have a much steeper learning curve. And I think that they're more education and, you know, things like this, actually, you know, <laughs> awareness raising and education, much more of that is going to be required. I think also we see that smaller institutions in particular, many of those who are dependent on software vendors as well, they've struggled. I mean, this is what, you know, we're obviously talking to our community all the time to understand what their obstacles are and what their difficulties are. And this is one that, that comes back quite a bit that they, you know, typically have a dependencies on vendors and others. And whilst those vendors may have products which are fully upgraded to ISO 20, to getting those into the bank and integrating them and so on mm. is still a big effort. So that's been, been one of the sources of friction, I guess, as well. And if we look at, you know, what we're trying to do to address that in our community, a lot of engagement, simply just talking to customers, understanding what they're doing, what their plans are, where they have difficulties. We're looking at the kind of services and support that we can provide. Obviously, we do that already, but we're ramping that up. Um, looking also at working with vendors and partners and making sure that they have everything that they need to help their customers, who are also our customers. So there's a variety of different fronts on which we have to on which we have to make progress. We see to a certain extent also that the the larger correspondent banks who have probably much more meaningful business relationships with the smaller banks in their own correspondent banking networks than mm -hmm. we do. They also have a part to play in helping and persuading and cajoling and educating their customers to come up, their, their, you know, their, their bank customers uh, to, 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 to get up to speed on ISO 2022 as well. So I think, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to do. Um, mm -hmm. and good news is that quite a lot of that is, is, is already well, well in hand. Yeah, I think you kind of alluded to um, what I'm going to talk about in my next question, and this was this was talked about a lot um, during the, the the SEPA years, which we'll get to as well, uh, uh, moving on mm -hmm. in the podcast. But I mean, a lot of banks have you know complex layers of very old systems and legacy systems built on top of each other, and the data rich ISO standard has trouble sort of translating to work with some of these older systems. I know, I remember talking to a few people, Jeremy, about, you know, adding that extra data field and how it was very complicated. Um, you know, what is, how are they dealt, how, how are banks dealing with this, Jeremy? Um, absolutely, that is, um, from a technology standpoint, that has been a, a big challenge, especially for the larger banks who have some mainframe applications that were built in-house and they're, they're always difficult to upgrade. Um, put simply, um, they have a choice to either invest to um, upgrade that application and, and make sure that it can now start to consume the new ISO standard. Um, what we've seen from the bulk of the participants is that they have opted for translation layers and they've put in place APIs and various um, tools in place that really translate the MT to the new ISO MX standard and vice versa, either in the inbound layer. And actually, <clears throat> to meet the coexistence period, not just for SWIFT, but for the other market infrastructures, um, a large number of um, the banks have opted for the minimum compliance, which is mm -hmm. to be able to just be able to receive payments. And as a result of that, they now have 
that additional layer of they got translators in place and they have to figure out actually if you were starting from scratch it would probably be, be easier now <laughs> they've got to figure out how do we remove those translator and become fully native and what solutions do we have in place because that's what they're going to have to um, deal with over the next couple of years. I, I remember people getting very passionate about conversion tools during the CFA age <laughs> that uh, yeah, that it, it was considered a band-aid that they should, banks shouldn't have used. So it's uh, that's exactly it. I mean, they're, they're in place right now. Um, they are reliable, but like with anything, they have the, they carry the risks. Mm -hmm. Again, when you're moving data, there can be risks of truncation or even data loss within those two applications. And that's just within, say, within one bank on the outbound. Stephen's referred to correspondent banking. There could be multiple banks in the chain. So if you think myself sending you money in the US, Liz, that could... In, in the traditional banking rails, go through three or four institutions, and if each one of them are using translation layers, you can imagine mm. how much can go wrong in between that <laughs> transaction. Chinese whispers of financial <laughs> messaging are not good for anyone. So, Stephen, I'll go to you. I mean, another lesson mm. that during the, the single euro payments era um, uh, uh, work that was done was a lot of issues came up about the readiness of corporates um, in this, yeah. in this uh, ecosystem. You know, are we seeing that issue arise again? Not exactly in the sense that there's no there's no deadline for corporates. So the corporates and bank flows are outside of the scope of the migration proper and necessarily so because there are so many different proprietary formats and channels and so on that are used between corporates and their banks. And many of those are going to continue to be used, right? But I think that nevertheless, if you're going to put um, high quality ISO 2002 transactions into, into the network as a bank or into the clearing system as a bank, you need to be getting that high quality data from your corporate customer. Much of the, you know, the, the source of the transaction for the most part is the corporate. So whilst I don't see it as being, you know, a sort of a, a, a massive issue, the banks are used to dealing with this and have been doing so for a while. And in fact, corporates have been using ISO 20 to do with their banks for many years as well, in many cases. So it's not that this comes in as an entirely new thing to the corporates. But I think that we do now have to focus on making sure that those corporate to bank flows at least have the level of data, the quality of data that's going to be required in the future in the interbank space. Um, and that is a challenge. Yeah. So that's something that, again, from a SWIFT standpoint, we're starting to focus on. We've been um, putting together um, standards for the corporate to bank flow, which are going to be compatible with what's being used in the interbank space and in the MI space as well. Um, we've been working with a, a, a working group composed of corporates and banks to, uh, to, to, to start to, to, to focus on that. Again, I don't think that it's, you know, that, that, it's, that it's necessary immediately that the corporates are all ISO 2022 capable, but if we're going to get the benefits of ISO 2022 and the benefits of the investment that as an industry we've all made, and it's going to have to include the corporates because that's where the transactions come from at the beginning. Yeah. Now, you alluded to this before in some of your earlier answers about issues that arise um, when assuring interoperability between regional systems. You know, what, what are some of the things banks need to look out for around that? So, so there, there are incompatibilities, small incompatibilities, differences, some of them necessary because different markets have different di different standards and different legal frameworks and different ways of doing things so some of these are you know are, are difficult difficult in fact to avoid but i think there are some accidental differences as well and there we we can do more than we have already done to try to uh, to try to eliminate those 
Um, it's not as bad as it as it could have been because the tennis market practice group, the PMPG and others did work with the market infrastructures and the build up to some of these major implementations on a standard called HVPS plus. So that's guidelines for high value payment systems for using ISO 20022. So the major MIs that have adopted ISO 22 in the last few years have all based their implementations around these guidelines. So there's already a certain degree of consistency already there. And those guidelines were aligned with what we call CBPR plus, which came from a slightly different group, but under the same sort of sponsorship, which was to de determine exactly how ISO 22 should be used cross border. So we do have some alignment, but there are differences, fundamental differences in, in terms of use of things like purpose codes. Some markets require them, some don't. The markets that do require them might require different ones from other markets that do. Uh, use of local identifiers, both for financial institutions and for customers. You know, there are well entrenched standards that are used in domestic markets, which would differ from one place to another. Uh, differences in character sets. When you have markets that use non-Latin scripts, for example, that can be problematic when you're trying to take those transactions and send them cross-border or bring them from cross-border and then settle them domestically. So those are actually quite, you know, intractable problems, not to say that they're in insoluble, but they're, they're not going to go, go away too easily because they're, they're fundamental to the way those markets operate. And this is a concern that probably some, some of you are aware has been taken up by the CPMI. CPMI last year published a report that sets out a common ISO 20 data model for domestic systems and a roadmap for PMIs to converge on that by 2027. So you know, it's, it's an understood problem and one that the industry is grappling with. But as I say, it's not that we'll get to a point where everything is identical everywhere because the world just isn't like that. Mm. So Jeremy, here we are, we're talking at the start of 2024. Uh, what are banks working on now? Um, banks are continuing to deal with regulatory changes. So there's a big thing in the UK about APP scams. Um, that is one of the things that are, are clearly top of mind, anything to protect their customers and consumers. Um, banks are always looking for a competitive edge. So whilst they will look to provide um, great service for their customers, they're looking at new innovations and um type of products that they can offer. Um, the next layer is mandatory change, what we're talking about now. So again, choices being made. If you want to keep participating in CHAPS, you will have to um, meet all of the CHAPS um, requirements for enhanced data. Um, I'm not sure if we mentioned it now, but for ISO 20022, um, whilst a lot have gone live, for example, with CHAPS in the Bank of England, they will be mandating things like purpose codes, which tell you the purpose of a transaction, and then the structured name and address, which is a big thing for, for, for this new messaging standard. Um, so banks are now working on, okay, we're now sending this MX ISO message. How do we now actually start to user data models and what do we do with that data they're really looking at you know the i keep hearing that data is the new oil <laughs> but like oil for it to be valuable it needs to be refined is it a f is it exactly i think we should be talking about electric uh, yeah. electricity but anyway it, the point is it needs to be refined the data is stored somewhere in multiple multiple sources is how do you refine that data so that it can be meaningful um, and, and then the other things is transformation. Um, I, I know a lot of, unfortunately, banks have com competing priorities, but they do want to look at um, transformation and innovation. But unfortunately, that tends to be bottom of the agenda due to the regulatory and mandatory changes that we're all aware of. 
Okay, Stephen, I'm going to put you on the spot here for a bit. Um, November 2025, how confident mm. are you that that period of coexistence will end? I think it can be done. Yeah, I think I think we will. Um, I don't pretend that it's going to be easy for everyone to be ready by this date, but we do think it's achievable. Uh, it requires that everyone, all the different actors that uh, need to coordinate their activities, play their part. So that's central banks, overseers, PMIs, commercial banks, service providers, vendors. You know, it's a it's a, it's a big lift um, for sure to be ready by then. But we think it can be done. Yeah. Excellent. So I have a bonus question for both of you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's like a bad penny. You can't have a conversation without talking about crypto. So um, will ISO 2002, will the adoption make it easier for cryptocurrency exchanges and other crypto-related businesses to securely and reliably send and receive payments? And why isn't this spoken about more? So, Jeremy, I was going to go to you first for that. Um, okay, great question, Ashley. <laughs> Thank you for the bonus one. Um, a couple of things to note about cryptocurrencies. One, they are blockchain native. Um, they're decentralized by nature um, and they're not regulated. So adding all those three things together, um, it's unlikely given that I mentioned it's it's purely on a blockchain and it's unlikely they'll be converted to fiat or conventional currencies. There probably isn't a need and they're based on, on the coding type of language. If we look at more regulated alternatives like tokenized assets and stable coins um, and more digital currencies, um, they are already considering using this standard ISO 20022 for that and their digital currencies that are regulated and as I said, stable coins are backed. Um, so that's probably how I'll answer that one. <laughs> Excellent. Stephen, I'm not going to let you out of the bonus question. What do you think? Is it... Well, yeah, I think that to, to, to Jeremy's point, our focus really is on regulated instruments, but that will include CBDCs and, and other and other types of uh, type, type, types of types of currencies and settlement mechanisms that are that are that are that are coming up fast. And I think the, the point about ISO twenty eighty two is really that it's it's about it's a data standard. It's about the data that accompanies a payment, and that data might be required for compliance reasons. I you, you have to, cross-border, you have to be able to identify clearly the debtor and the creditors of the ordering customer and the beneficiary of the transaction. It might be data that's required for processing the payment when you've received it, remittance information to help creditors understand what they're being paid for and to reconcile and so so on and so forth. So that's really what ISO brings on top of legacy standards. It's that additional granular rich information. And that information is going to be required for compliance and to help with payment processing irrespective of the um, of the underlying settlement mechanism or instrument. So I do think that ISO 20022, you know, and the data that ISO 2022 defines and describes is going to be relevant irrespective of how we end up settling those payments in the future. And actually, that, that's a good point just to add. Um, if we look at the, the plans for the digital pound and the digital euro for... Bitcoin. C- CB- <laughs> CBDCs, which are regulated... Um, if you look at, there's also a number of initiatives like the Regulated Liability Network looking more at the the um, commercial digital currencies. And for those to be on different standards just wouldn't make any sense. Mm. And clearly, as of 2022 is one of the solutions that could resolve yeah. that. 
Excellent. Stephen and Jeremy, this was a very informative discussion, and I hope this was helpful for all of you currently on your ISO 2022 journey or those who just need to be um, updated on what's going on in the world of financial messaging and banks. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Functional Banking Magic, which runs monthly out of The Banker. You can listen to this podcast on thebanker.com, Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you'd like to be a guest on Functional Banking Magic, you can contact Liz Lumley at elizabeth.lumley at ft.com.